Uh, we are privileged to have as our guest speaker, Mr. Philip Peterson, who has chaired the missions program at ABC for the last 10 years. And uh, prior to that, uh, he and his wife were on the field ministering in Europe and various places for 18 years, I think. Is that right? Okay. So, F- Philip, thanks for being with us. Come on up. And uh, we're excited to hear from you and, and what you, God has laid on your heart through his word. Thank you, brother. Okay. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, give you a little bit of background Pastor already said a few things. Uh, I was about 10 years old, I think, when God first opened my eyes to missions. Uh, we had a little boy's prayer meeting, and a man from Japan who had come to America to make a lot of money got saved, and he felt God was leading him back to Japan to share the gospel with his people. So he went to seminary to prepare for that, and he was sharing this story with us and I was a 10-year-old boy, and I'm sitting there thinking, I say, you know what? He's from Japan. He's going back to Japan as a missionary. My grandparents were from Sweden, and they still spoke a little Swedish, and I was intrigued with that as a little boy, and I'm thinking, I'm Swedish. I should go to Sweden as a missionary. Uh, that thought never left. I mean, that, that stayed with me all the way up through high school, into college. I'm in college, though, and there's no opportunities in Sweden. I'm told it's closed. There's no missionaries there. And so I thought, okay, it's not what God wants me to do. It must have been just a childhood dream. Well, I went on to secondary education. I taught in Christian schools for seven years. Thought I was going to do that the rest of my life. God had other plans. Uh, when I was 32 years old, I heard a little challenge about missions again. The opening of the doors in Eastern Europe, the need for missionaries. And I thought, you know, I've always told God I'm willing to be a missionary, but I only had one country that I was set at. I said, I should be willing to go anywhere. And so I talked to somebody about that, and they said, yeah, yeah, I think it'd be great. Go to seminary, get some more training. I did that. I'm reading the seminary bulletin board one day, and they got a list of countries that were open for missionaries to serve in during the summer, summer programs. And I'm reading through the list. I want to see what countries are identified there, and I get to the bottom of the list, and guess what country was listed at the bottom? Sweden. I thought, wait, they got missionaries there. I want to find out more about that. So I found out there was a rep in the area, went and talked to him, spent a couple hours talking. He said, we're not looking for just summertime help. We want full-time help. Came back, talked to my wife. I was excited. She wasn't. (laughs) We had one child, a second one, coming very, very shortly. Uh, we had good jobs. We were in a good church. We had family and friends around. You, you know that feeling, right? Uh, why would we want to go? Why would we want to go on the road and try to raise support with two little kids? It ended up being three uh, by the time we finished. <laughs> why would we want to do that? I asked my wife, though. I said, well, you at least pray about it. And she said, yes. A month later, she came to me and she said, I'm convinced God wants us to go to Sweden as missionaries. I said, wait, how did that happen? How did God convince you? She said, well, ever since I said I would pray about it, every sermon, uh, Bible study, testimonies, songs, everything seemed to be focused on missions. It's interesting how God works, isn't it? He confirms that call. Well, God led us into missions. We went to Europe. Uh, We're there in Sweden, Germany, and Scotland, and then 2010, God brought us to ABC to train the next generation of missionaries. That's so exciting. I mean, 
my heart's still in Europe. And I shared that with my mission director. I said, my heart's still in Europe. I want to be back there. He says, good. When that feeling disappears, stop teaching. And that brought it all back into perspective. Um, we have a great mission. If Sometimes I feel like maybe I might be speaking to the choir here after hearing the focus. I mean, missions opportunities this summer in Hungary, uh, the work that's going on in the Caribbean, um, just hearing stories of what's going on here in the church. I might be speaking to the choir today, but hopefully there'll be something that you'll be able to catch, grab onto that just says, you know, that's a new thought that I hadn't thought before, and God can use that to challenge your hearts. So be open as we go through this uh, sermon. Some of it you will have heard before. Some of it may be a little bit new. Um, But let's start off with a little ad here. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. How many would sign up for that? Supposedly, this was an ad that um, Ernest Shackleton put in the Times of London when he was looking for volunteers to help him uh, with his polar expedition. Apparently, the next morning, 3,000 people had responded and said, we want to (laughs) go. You know, there's another ad that I put together. See what you think of this. Men and, one, men and women wanted for dangerous mission, long hours, low wages, months or years of spiritual darkness, imprisonment, torture, and death possible, persecution guaranteed, no honor or recognition in this life, great spiritual rewards if faithful. Any idea who said that? Maybe not in those words. But these are basically the words of Jesus Christ. He said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 14, if you don't hate your father and mother and wife and children and houses and lands, your possessions, your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus also said, if they hated me, they will hate you also. Paul said to Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is a call to follow Christ. How many would say, hey, I'm, wi- I'm willing to do that? doesn't sound so exciting uh, in those words, but this is, this is Jesus' call. Before Jesus ascended up into heaven, he spent some time with his disciples giving them some final instructions. Uh, we f- see his final instructions recorded in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and also in the book of Acts, just before he ascended up into heaven. And he left them an assignment, some instructions. These are things that you need to do when I leave. We know these instructions as a great commission. You've got about 120 people that were gathered together in Acts. Whether all of those were there and saw him ascended into heaven, I don't know, but I'm sure those who were there told that 120, this is the task God has given us to do. What was the spiritual climate like in the world at that time? Well, you think of the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the high priest, King Herod, the Jewish people, they hated Jesus Christ. They just put him to death. What about the, the, the political world at the time? The Roman Empire. 
they had conspired with the Jews to put Christ to death. Um, Hostile spiritual environment, hostile political environment, 120 people, and they're given this task. This is the task that you've been given to do. Well, let's look at that task. It's found in several different places. I'm just going to go through and we'll look at all the different verses. We'll read them. And then I'm going to try to draw some some principles, some foci from these verses, six things that I think these verses are telling us. Uh, Give you a little illustration of that and then some practical applications. So let's start first of all with the verses. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Hopefully you can all read that. I'll read it for you if you can't. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 46 through 49. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. John 20.21 Jesus said to them, Again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then there's one more verse that isn't often associated with the Great Commission, but this was given during Jesus' final hours with his disciples before the crucifixion. John records this time, John 14 all the way through 17. And in John 15, 16, Jesus said to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. There are several principles that I think we can find in this passage, and I'd like to look at these six principles and just kind of tie it together with these verses that we just read. The first one is that there is a fervent gospel focus. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And you say, well, where's the gospel focus there? That's what you do after they're saved. You teach them. You make them a disciple. But notice what comes right after that. Go and make disciples. What do you do next? You baptize them. Um, It was a few years ago, I kind of tied this all together, that this phrase here, make disciples, is really make followers of Jesus Christ. How do you make followers of Jesus Christ? You you share the gospel. You tell them about Jesus. It's interesting, in Acts 11.26, it tells us that the disciples were first called what in Antioch? 
They were first called Christians in Antioch. So they were called disciples before they were called Christians. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, we would put it in today's language, go and make Christians of all nations. Go and share the gospel with all people. Then baptize them and then teach them. So you see a gospel focus in Matthew 28. It's clearly there in Mark 16. Go and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to every person. And then also in uh, Luke 24, 46 and 47, the Christ should suffer and die and rise the third day from the dead. Repentance and forgiveness are to be proclaimed in his name. There you got the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Repentance and forgiveness of sins are found in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so I think we see a fervent gospel focus in the Great Commission. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the good news. But that's not the only focus we see here. We also see a compelling reproduction focus. That's also going back to Matthew 28. Make disciples, make followers of Christ, Christians, baptizing them in, then what? Teach them to observe all. Teach them to put into practice. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What does that everything include? Making disciples, baptizing the disciples, and teaching them. That's reproduction. It just doesn't stop with sharing the gospel with somebody and they become a Christian. Oh, great. Fine, let's move on to somebody else. No, share the gospel with them, see them become a follower of Christ, and teach them to do the same thing. So now you've got two people going out, sharing the gospel, making disciples. Then four, then eight, then 16. It multiplies when you do reproduction. Same thing with the church. You go out and plant a church. Has the church fulfilled its task because now we've got a church, a place for to meet? No, the church needs to see other churches started. And so we want to see reproduction taking place. And I think this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. You do this and teach others to do the same thing. Reproduction. So you got a fervent gospel focus, a compelling reproduction focus. I went too far there. Passionate international focus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not just some. Not just the nations we like to go to, all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the, the whole creation, every person. Acts 1, 8, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, your own city, Judea, your surrounding area, Samaria. I like to look at Samaria. Who were the Samaritans, by the way? They were the half-Jews, half-Gentiles. They were the social outcasts. They were despised and rejected by the Gentiles. They were despised and rejected by the Jews. They were the, the social outcasts, the hated, the despised, the rejected in their community. Samaria was located between Jerusalem and Galilee. Remember Jesus, John 4? He told his disciples, I have to go through Samaria, and his disciples must have been looking at him. You're crazy. No Jew wants to go through Samaria. But who did he have an engagement and appointment with in Samaria? The Samaritan woman. Jesus went to the despised and rejected. That's Samaria. And then 
the end of the earth, the rest of the worlds and the nations. A passionate international focus. So you have a gospel focus, proclaim the gospel, a reproduction focus, teach them to do the same thing. A passionate international focus. This is to go to everybody, including the people we don't like. Um, and then we have an impelling sending focus. John twenty twenty one. The Father sent the Son, Jesus, to accomplish redemption. Jesus is now sending His followers to proclaim that message that Jesus accomplished. Redemption through Jesus Christ. So we are sent as the Father sent the Son. The Son is sending His followers. So an impelling sending focus. You're sent by Jesus Christ. Is there a greater person in the world that could send us to do anything? No, no, not at all. We are sent by Jesus Christ, and so that ought to impel us, motivate us to go because Jesus Christ is sending us. A fifth thing would be an empowering spirit-focused. Put yourself back with that 120. Intense spiritual opposition. Intense political opposition. Just a small group of people are sent with this great task into the whole world. Would anybody here be just a little bit terrified? <laughs> I know I would be. Uh, that's, a, that's a daunting task. And yet Jesus left them with this promise. You will have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to bring to memory all those things that Christ taught. He's going to be a comforter. He's going to be a protector. He's going to give boldness. Wow. What more could we ask for? Rather than relying on our own strength, our own power, our own ability, our own talents, our own natural boldness, we can have power from the Holy Spirit. Acts 4. The apostles had been persecuted. They had been thrown into prison. They had been threatened, don't preach in Jesus' name again. They come back to the church. And what do they do at the church? I think I hit a button by mistake there. Uh, we'll get to that one in just a second. Uh, they come back to the church, and the church goes to God in prayer. And what does the church pray for? First thing they say, God, you're, you're an all-powerful, omnipotent God. You created the heavens and the earth. You ever thought about how big our God is to create the heavens and the earth. This universe is astoundingly big. Anybody seen Louis Giglio's video on the universe? Wow. Our God created that universe. And they go to God and they said, you're the creator of the universe. You're all powerful. You can do anything. Second thing, they said, God, you're sovereign. You're in control of everything that happens. When Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Jews and the Gentiles gathered together, what did they gather together to do? put Jesus Christ to death. And then it says, but they were only accomplishing what God had determined beforehand should be done. God used the wicked intentions of evil men to accomplish his purpose. How big is that God? God, you're all powerful. You created the heavens and the earth. God, you're sovereign. The evil intentions of wicked men are only accomplishing your good purpose. Therefore, they make their request. What would your request be? Mine would be, give me boldness. No, it would not. <laughs> Mine would be, protect me. Uh, Paul prayed for protection. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. 
But this church, they prayed for boldness. And what does it say happened? The place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the Word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit answered that request for boldness. I know I need it. I'm sure there are many here that would say the same thing. Oh, man, I need boldness. It's hard to talk to people about Christ, isn't it? Ask God for boldness. He can give boldness in our day-to-day lives. The final thing that I'm going to mention here as far as foci of the Great Commission would be there is an effectual prayer focus. We already talked about the disciples, the church, praying in Acts 4, John 15, 16. I've commissioned you to bear eternal fruit, is what Jesus is saying. I think that kind of sounds Great Commission-like, don't you? Yeah, I've commissioned you to bear eternal fruit so that whatsoever you ask of prayer in my name, he may give it you. We have access to all the resources in heaven to accomplish the task that God has given us to do. All we need to do is ask. God will give us those resources that we need to accomplish the task that he sent us to do if we ask for it. That is a huge, huge opportunity. And yet, I think John Piper is the one that said most Christians use prayer to call more comforts into the den rather than calling resources to the front lines. I'm going to give you a little illustration kind of help put this all into perspective, how all of us are involved in the Great Commission. We see all these different foci here, a gospel focus, a reproduction focus, an international focus, a sending focus, a spirit focus, a prayer focus. We can all be involved in this, but we're going to have different roles. Let's look at a little illustration here. Uh, by the way, Mark Johnson gave this quote. Do you know who Mark Johnson is? Pastor up at Independent Baptist Church in Martinsburg. He said, missions is a whole task for the whole church for the whole age. The whole church, every single person in the church has a role and a responsibility until Christ comes back. And we're going to look at what our roles and responsibilities are in just a minute. But here's, you've seen that before, right? <laughs> How many answered that call? Uncle Sam saying, I want you. Yeah, I see a few hands popping up around the audience. Thank you. We need men to answer this call to protect us in our own communities, our lives, our nation. And many have answered that call. We need to be thankful and grateful for those that have answered the call. Some went to the front lines. You know what the front lines looks like, right? These are some pictures from World War II. Uh, guys serving on the front lines. They do all kinds of things. But we think of soldiers fighting, advancing, attacking the enemy, protecting the homeland. But in World War II, this wasn't all that was taking place. It wasn't just the men on the front lines who were involved in the war. We also had the home front. Show a few pictures here on the home front. Do with less, so they'll have enough. Rationing's taking place. Then in the bottom right, you probably can't read it, it says, we are ready, what about you? People back home. Anybody here remember seeing any of these before? 
Maybe you're too young and you, you saw them in history textbooks, maybe. Uh, here's another set of slides. If you can't go, buy war bonds. Bottom left, every man, woman, and child is a partner. And then in the bottom right, you have this little, I think it's a boy on a trike pulling his victory wagon behind him. Uh, children involved in the war. And then another series of posters. Service on the home front. You have the victory gardens. You had rationing taking place, saving. And then up in the upper right, are you doing all you can? This is what was taking place on the home front. Men, women, children, all involved in the war. Women going to the factories working. Children going out and collecting tinfoil. I heard somebody here in West Virginia said children used to go around and collect some kind of weed. Saving fat. Um, All of these kinds of things were involved. Why? They were helping the soldiers on the front lines by doing something here at home. I think some of you might be figuring out where I'm going with this. This is just an example of how all Americans pitched in and did their part during wartime, during World War II. But today we're in a much greater conflict than just physical warfare. We're involved in a spiritual war. And God is calling you. How many are willing to answer that call? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many in your hearts are saying, yes, I'm willing to answer that call. I'm willing to serve God on the front lines if that's where He wants me. I'm willing to serve on the home front if that's where He wants me. But I'm going to answer that call and I'm going to serve. Hopefully we can all say that. Are we willing to do our part? Well, what does God want us to do? First of all, the front lines. Sometimes we think of these as the missionaries, the ones that are sent out to proclaim the gospel to the world. Um, Acts 1.8 mentions our community, Jerusalem. We can be involved in the home front right here at home. Various church ministries that we can be involved in. Um, We can be involved in our region, Judea. What are some of the things we can be involved in our region? Well, one example that popped into my mind was CEF. Uh, We've all heard of that, right? Child Evangelism Fellowship. They're able to go into public schools. And share the gospel with children. Wow, that's another opportunity that is available. So you can be involved in church ministries. You can be involved in an organization like Child Evangelism Fellowship, and they have a great chapter here in this local area. They also have the despised and rejected in our community, Samaria. Um, one thing that comes to mind, and I know this church is active in it, and they're going to be presenting later on this week, but Brian Safehouse. Reaching out to despised and rejected people in our community. People that sometimes are ignored. We don't, oh yeah, they they might have had a problem with drugs, so that's a different life and I want to stay away from that. Anybody ever felt awkward around certain kind of people because they're different than you? we got illegal immigrants that people kind of want to stay away from or Muslims or maybe the homeless or ex-cons, prostitutes. Did Jesus minister to these kinds of people? 
Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And we need to have a heart for these people as well. That is our Samaria, and there are those opportunities all around us. It doesn't matter what community you live in, there are opportunities to reach these people. We need to be involved, and I'm glad this church is involved, uh, in an organization like Brian's Safe House. And then the world. A couple things here. The 90-10, you probably don't know, have any idea what that is. I'm going to tell you. 90% of the world's Christian workers are ministering to 10% of the world's population. Think about that. 90% of the Christian, world's Christian workers are ministering to 10% of the world's population. The opposite is also true. 10% of the world's Christian workers are trying to reach 90% of the world's population. We can look around the United States here and we can say, man, there are a lot of things that need to be done. And that is true. There's a lot of work that needs to be done right here at home. Around the rest of the world, the needs are sometimes thousands times greater. Uh, my dad's taken a lot of trips to Eastern Europe, and he'll talk about some pastors pastoring 10 churches because they don't have pastors for the churches. They're trying to do the work of many, one person. You can't do that. 90-10, there's a great need. Um, another thing, attrition rate. A couple mission directors have told me this. He said, over the past several years, there has been a 10% attrition rate per year. Our missionary force is getting older. They're starting to retire. In addition to the older missionary force retiring, you got people that had no idea what they were getting into when they went into missions. And they get into missions and they say, oh man, this is hard. This is tough. Or they get into conflicts with their coworkers, Or they get a little bit lonely <laughs> for home. Uh, a variety of things come up and they say, oh, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel. I'm leaving. There's an attrition rate. We need people going to the front lines. There's a need on the front lines. So, so ask yourself, is this what God wants me to do? There's needs for the front lines. There's also needs on the home front. Supporting frontline personnel from at home. What can we do? Um, well, a lot of times, and I would say majority of churches, the two things that pop into minds is we can support financially and we can pray. And you know what? I'm not going to minimize that at all because missionaries need support and they need prayer. Those two things are very, very important. And a really interesting passage on supporting missionaries, um, and I'm going to encourage you to Maybe study this a little bit more later, but 3 John. How many have heard messages from 3 John? Uh, verses 5 through 8. Yeah, pastor, of course. Uh, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Who are these brothers, these strangers? They have gone out for the sake of his name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John there is talking about partnering with missionaries, being a partner with them by supporting them generously in a manner worthy of God. So, one of the things we can do on the home front is financial support, giving support to our missionaries. And I like what Dave Kelly said. God can take that 
little mite if that's all we can give. He can take that little mite and do tremendous things with it. But we need to be willing to give as God has given to us. Some are going to be able to give much more. God has all the resources, and the resources are in his people's pockets. (laughs) And we just need to be willing to give. That's our part on the home front, giving to support the missionaries. Another thing, prayer support, praying for your missionaries. Do we pray for our missionaries like we should? Well, it's hard to pray for the missionaries if you don't know the missionaries. But when you get prayer letters from the missionaries, read the prayer letters, see what their needs are, what their concerns are. Praise God for the things that God's doing in their ministries. Uh, read through Paul's letters and you can see Paul prayed for protection from ungodly men. Paul prayed for open doors. He prayed that the gospel would accomplish its purpose, that people would be saved. There are a lot of things we can be praying for our missionaries. So read the prayer letters, pray for them. Moral support, encouraging the missionaries. Do missionaries ever get discouraged? <laughs> uh, once in a while. Um, but you can encourage them. They come home on furloughs. Do you know what's going on in their life and their ministry? It's It's exciting when people come up to us and they can engage with us on what's happening because they've been following what's going on in in our prayer letters. That's encouraging. I remember walking into a church one time. They didn't know we were coming. We just happened to be passing through the city, walked into the church, and a lady walked. It's kind of like the foyer you have out there. We walked in the door. She was walking by in the auditorium. She disappeared, stopped a few seconds later. She was back and she said, you're the Petersons, right? Yes, we are. You don't know us. We joined the church after you've been here last, but we have your prayer letter on a refrigerator, your prayer card, and we pray for you every day. She recognized our face from our picture, and she told us that was an encouragement. Support the missionaries, moral support, logistical support, managing uh, some of their business affairs like taxes or property. They might own still own property, need somebody to kind of watch rental property for them. They can't do that while they're over there. We had a lawyer and a financial accountant take care of legal and financial needs for us when we're on the field. A lot of missionaries have come home because they had parents that needed help and they didn't have anybody to take care of their parents. They wanted to stay, but they were torn. People can take care of aging parents or children. We left our oldest daughter in the States when she was a senior in high school, because she could not finish in Scotland. We had ladies in the church said, she can stay with us and we'll take care of her. Man, what an encouragement to parents when you got people taking care of those needs. Equipment. Missionary needs something. I've seen everything from uh, vehicles, computers, buildings, whatever, and churches will stand up and say, we can take care of that. We can supply that need. Uh, logistical support. And then you got communication support, Skype, FaceTime. Remember when it was just letters <laughs> or expensive telephone calls? Our daughter in, is in Guam. She's been there for six years. I remember when she went, she FaceTimed us one day and she's at the beach and she's showing us a puffer fish and a blue starfish. And we're seeing with her some of these new and exciting things. It was next best thing to being right with her. Man, missionaries would be encouraged if you Skype them, you FaceTime them, you talk to them in person. Another way we can encourage. And then re-entry support. Helping with housing, transportation when they come home on furlough. Um, A lot of needs. 
that they might have in furlough or retirement. Where is your part? What, can, what does God want you to do? Well, John Piper said it this way. You got three options. You can go, go to the front lines. You can send, you can be an active home front worker for the ministry, or you can disobey. I'm sure God has a role, a place for every single one of you. Ask God, what is it that you want me to do to help the cause of missions around the world to accomplish the Great Commission? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have given us such clear instructions on what you want us to do. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit. Gives us power and boldness to accomplish his purpose. We're thankful we have access to heaven through prayer. You have given us a tremendous task, an honor, a privilege of serving you. And so help us to find that place, that role that we can serve We can help the cause of Christ. We can reach people around the world and here at home with the good news of salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. Guide and direct us today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.